0: Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women, their voices, and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere, and the founder of SayItForward.org.
1: And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on sayitfora.org to do just that. In this podcast you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. Today we have Franca Kade joining us from Copenhagen Denmark and we are very excited to talk with her. Franka is a midwife and an anthropologist. Her passion in life has been sexual reproductive justice, and she is currently Director of Global Initiatives at the Maternity Foundation in Copenhagen. Thank you so much for being with us today, Franca. Thank you, it's great to be
2: speaking to you. It's wonderful that this is possible.
1: Franca, we have been
0: so excited to talk with you. Our listeners would be very intrigued about what in your own life sparked your passion for sexual reproductive
2: justice. Well, and I think first of all, specifically sexual and reproductive justice is new for me. For a long time, I was talking about sexual and reproductive rights, and I've only very recently learned that justice actually in many ways is much more important because it's about attaining the rights. It's not only about having the rights. And so for me, you know, through life, we learn new things and I'm landing very much with sexual and reproductive justice and uh, and it's really important to me that it's justice that we're talking about i was brought up uh, all over the world and uh, my parents worked for dutch development aid but also for united nations and for the eu and so i lived in pakistan sudan sierra leone all kinds of places where i saw many things i think i was a very observant child um my father especially i think through life he was also a very um yeah, very much into the work he did. so I I discussed a lot with him about aid and about the politics of aid. He actually became quite a cynical aid worker and in the end said that he felt that in many ways, uh, some of the countries where he worked were poorer when he left than when he came. And this has really landed me in a big way. Even as a young child, I was thinking, what is this? What is this that he's saying? But I think I've also seen a lot as a very young girl, also, you know, being in the Sudan and seeing coups and seeing dead people along the road and knowing I had to fill the bath, you know, all those kinds of things were a part of my life. I started studying anthropology and within that I did medical anthropology and a lot of stuff to do with sexuality, birth, the different ways in which people express pain. Yeah, that kind of the wider issues around cultural aspects of birth. It was life-changing for me. So Actually, also then when I decided to become a midwife, I felt that it, my life wasn't in the books, that my life was very much in doing something and working with my hands, which was not at all in many ways what my parents had expected. They were quite upset when I decided to leave academia and become a midwife because for them yeah I guess in their generation uh, education is highly important and they felt that you know going into academia into university I was the first in my family to go to university and then I decided to leave university and become a midwife. The spark was made I think in my upbringing and also in my anthropology that was the spark but the fire started burning when I became a midwife. I just saw how our sexuality, how our pregnancy, how we look at life, how we how we look at bringing up children, how you know how lucky you are to be born in one place, how lucky I am where I was born, my goodness me, and I know that other people were born in other places uh, have totally different circumstances. I've seen that life and I've seen it as well through my life as a midwife, I've also seen how. People can change and become so powerful and strong when they can attain that which they have a right to. And I think that's that fire has kept on burning. And I've seen it especially through midwifery. So I've seen it through birth, but also through midwives themselves and what they can do and where they stand. Because midwives are very much a marginalized group. That's why they're so fiery. And that's why they're so, you know, I I identify as a midwife. So I think I, I felt it and I saw it every day. When
0: you refer to midwives as a marginalized group, in some countries, that is true. And would you explain to our listeners what that means and why you think it is the cultural reality in so many
2: places? The way that midwives are treated in society and seen in society is like a reflection of the position of women in that same society. We're the oldest profession just about on earth. And midwives through the years have gained all kinds of knowledge. And there came a time in in the industrialized period when midwives were in many ways institutionalized. And in some ways, I think it was good that our training became more standardized and we had, you know, lifelong learning and all those kinds of things. But at the same time, I think some of the basic knowledge that we had as midwives was not seen as as important, was seen as soft and kind of put to the side. And all the medical things were seen as important and and much more hard and something that was worth something. I think a really nice example, Dutch midwives changed their name in around about the 60s from being a vroedvrouw, which means sage femme, wise woman, and they changed it to verloskundige, which means the person able to do the birth. And the reason why they did this is because they felt it just sounded much more professional. They became medicalized in many ways, mm-hmm. and I think our medicalization has, in some ways, meant that that birth has, in some ways, become safer. But in many ways as well, we've lost some of our knowledge, and we have been kind of pulled into a, a medical system when actually we are a profession that is very much about prevention. We are a profession that should be in the community, and and we should be about any kind of sexual education, up to breastfeeding, up to maybe even menopause, we are real community workers. And I think in many ways we've been stripped of our our basic knowledge and given new knowledge and we're told that that was the right knowledge. You see it very strongly with Indigenous midwives. You know, they very strongly say, look, you know, we want to keep our Indigenous knowledge. But actually it's like that for all midwives because all midwives had Indigenous knowledge and it's been put aside and we are women And then we work for women doing women's things. And I've often said this, this is the triple whammy. We are one of the lowest paid professions for the kind of responsibility that we have worldwide. And in some countries we are seen as dirt and in some other countries we're seen as activistic, annoying women. (laughs) But actually it all comes down to the same thing and we are in a fantastic profession. That is so deeply important because birth and pregnancy is a life-changing event. And if a woman and her partner and her mother and grandmother and sister and everyone else in that community are able to make the transition to becoming a grandmother, an auntie, a sister, a a mother, a father, whatever they become, because they all transition and then the baby is born. If that goes well, then you get a healthy community. But yeah. if it doesn't go well, then that community and the parents are can be traumatized. It can stop you from breastfeeding well, from bringing up well. So actually having a good birth, and, and I, I think I've often said a good birth doesn't mean a birth by candlelight at home. It doesn't have to mean that. A good birth is that birth whereby you feel, well, I was respected. That what happened is what I wanted. Those people around me were there for me. They listened for me, listened to me. They supported me to do what I can do well. And in the end, my birth was my birth. Even if it was a cesarean section or a vaginal birth, it doesn't make any difference. And then I think you transform your community. Everyone around you transforms to being a mother, a father, and you can then nurture your child and attain sexual reproductive justice. But if you don't, then you have to go through that trauma. You might not be able to feel that strong about yourself. And so it's so deeply important that there is a midwife who is able to support someone through that transition. It's also really important that there are obstetricians that you can refer to if there is a problem. Mm -hmm. But if midwives do their work well, we rarely need to transfer. But Mm -hmm. things have become so medicalized that this basic sitting and being with a woman while she's pregnant and giving birth is virtually taken away and it's all become kind of structured and medicalized i mean there's a huge epidemic concerning cesarean sections through i mean certain things we don't even look upon as being normal anymore that are actually perfectly normal mm-hmm. you know giving birth you get pregnant at home and you can actually also give birth at home if the system allows it but the systems are no, no longer like that and so we are all yeah moved into hospital. And I feel that midwives can play a big role. Thousands
0: of midwives who uh, comprise the International Confederation of Midwives elected you as their president. You're a leader and have been a leader on a global stage to help ensure that women's voices are being heard from grassroots levels all the way through, you know, government levels. Where have you found the courage to keep having this conversation about
2: why this is important? It's interesting. Recently, I've I've been given quite a lot of kind of presentations about leadership. and, And I think maybe there are certain people who are born leaders. I don't think I'm a born leader. I haven't had an opportunity. I was really lucky while I was also quite scared, actually, of it. And as you know, Sharon, I spoke to you a few times at that time. I was scared of public speaking. There were all kinds of things, but I thought, I've got this opportunity, I'm going to go for it. So that was why I started doing that, and I learned on the job. I think I was very able, at a, very quickly, to ask for help. I think that's just about one of the most important leadership qualities, because asking for help actually means that I know that I have my limits. If I don't ask for help, then I think I'm a god and can do everything, but I can't. I asked for help from a few friends that I could kind of go to and put my head, hands in my hair and say, oh, my God, you know, this and this is happening. And they could just understand. And they would know me. And they would just say to me, off a price Frank and get on with it, or whatever I needed, or a hug or whatever else. Or they could be critical. And I had some midwife friends that were my real critical friends. And that was actually something that was via you, Sharon. I got that advice to do that. They didn't do it often. But they did do it. And it was quite nice that it was also when I didn't ask for it. Actually, the only time they gave it when I didn't ask for it. (laughs) And um, and so I think that helped me a lot. And for the rest, I think I was also fed by all these midwives, you know, that had all this courage as well. So it kind of grew from moment to moment. I I think if I'd thought beforehand, the places where I had to speak, I would have died a death, but I was supported and I did it and I saw it worked. I did learn some tricks. So I learned, for example, that me as a person, I have to really prepare well. Uh, and as soon as I think that I can just do it just like that and be a bit blasé, I can't. So, uh, so that's one thing that I really learned about myself. And I also know when I've prepared well and little things about speaking cards, stuff like that, I sometimes have a little thing in my hand. Little tricks like that help me as well. But generally, I think I was just fed by the courage of the people around me, supported by good
1: friends, and I was able to ask for help. When your name did get chosen for the presidency of ICM, you said you were afraid that you wouldn't be accepted, but you were also afraid that you would be. Can you speak to our listeners about what you meant by that? You put your name forward, you take a risk,
2: and it's just a basic, simple, humane feeling of being rejected was the reason why I was worried I would not be accepted, that I would be rejected and how would I deal with that. But I think I I was less worried about that. But being accepted, it would mean that I would have a certain role, I would have to live up to it. The public speaking is one little one, but it wasn't a little one for me to begin with. It was quite big. I was worried. And I knew I was going to have to stand on stages, big and small. I actually learned that the smaller stages, I found them harder than the big ones. But, you know, you have to speak to people you know. You speak to people of a certain level. You have to find your words. I was scared shitless. At the same time, I did think I'm going to do this. Uh, Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it, of course. And I think there's always a bit of ego there. I must say, when you're in these kinds of positions, it's really good to help you to keep real because it's just a position for a certain period of time. You're lucky that you're allowed to take it. It's an honor. And then at some point it stops again. And so the reason why people mail you all the time and ask you all these things is not only because it's me. It's because I've got this president name.
0: Frankie, you recently accepted an important role at Maternity Foundation. Would you tell our listeners about the foundation and about your new
2: role there? The Maternity Foundation was actually started by an obstetrician who worked in Ethiopia and saw the effects of people not being able to attain their sexual reproductive justice in a big way. And she uh, decided to start doing something about this. This is actually quite a long time ago, I think about 15 years ago, but about 10 years ago, she decided that she would develop like a training module within an app, which at that time was quite new. and uh, But that has now really grown to a large program whereby midwives or other skilled birth attendants, because of course there's many different cadres in different countries, are able to online wherever they live and download these training modules. And there's now 13 different modules and you can see films and do tests and do all kinds of things whereby you can upskill yourself. It's from mental health to prenatal care to emergency skills. And it is in 40 languages. And that's what I love about this organization. All the visuals are totally the visuals of those people that use it. And they've done that right from the start. Mm -hmm. So it's really a great. great, So you can really see a distinction between the one from Papua New Guinea and the one for uh, Niger. And Or the one in India. Actually, it has six Indian languages. It's all cartoons, the the way they've drawn it. They've chosen that specifically. They are midwives that can identify with themselves when they see themselves. You can download it and then just save it on your phone. All midwives have phones. And uh, so it's a very simple way in which people can attain more quality care so that they're able to support safer births. This is a really great and easy and simple way. It's a global good. You
1: can download it for free. That's wonderful. There's a question that we like to ask all of our guests. How can we all encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power? I think we can encourage it by doing it ourselves. By example, I think
2: we can encourage people to use their voices by understanding that our voice is like our epitome. I think it's the epitome of our strength. You know, when you call your mother, she'll know it's you and not your sister because you have this very specific voice. And I think that if we all realize that our voices don't have to be loud or they don't have to be strong, they can be soft or slow, but it's your voice and your voice matters. And encouraging people that that is the case, because if people don't use their voice, we will not hear what they need these podcasts it's also a way in which people can let their voice be heard and so if anyone who hears this thinks hey i would like to do something with this doing it standing there and, and and taking the responsibility i do feel we all have the responsibility to support each other and also to dare to open our mouths with with compassion not by saying that we know it better i think that uh, that would make the world a better
1: place that is beautiful i i love that you say that our, you know your voice doesn't have to be loud or it doesn't have to be strong. It can be soft and it's still just as important. Franca, this has been such a enriching and inspiring time just to hear your passion, the work that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to share parts of your story with us. And to our listeners, thank you for making the time to listen to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast.
0: Franca... A thousand thanks for being with us today and for inspiring us with your, with your stories and also with the leadership voice that you have to advance reproductive justice for women around the world. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, we invite you to visit sayitforward.org a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment, or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino
1: and Yodit Kifle-Smith signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the power of stories podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the power of stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your story.